by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. That is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, and he didn't make the cut for the promo, but Vicar Albert Bader is here with us too. And uh, I guess since the Vickers are here for a while and gone for a while and probably never heard of or seen from again, we didn't want to memorialize them in the uh, big fancy promo that we have. But it is great to be back again. It is uh, always a treat and kind of a special highlight of my week to be able to sit down and go through the readings for the upcoming Sunday, to talk about them theologically, to talk about them homiletically, in other words, how to preach them, and to bounce ideas off of one another. It's a great opportunity, and we pray it's a blessing for you as well. Proclaiming the one means we are proclaiming the one Savior from sin, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it also has a double meaning because at Good Shepherd, and uh, I would guess about 25 to 30 percent of the congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, use the historic one-year series of readings. So we are looking at the readings in the one-year series, and it just so happens on this particular day that we're going to be looking at today, the Epiphany of our Lord, the readings are the same, whether you're in series A, B, C, or the one-year series. Epiphany is one of those special holidays, special church celebrations, uh, maybe one that we don't understand or appreciate enough, and hopefully we can unpack some of that for our hearers today. The introit for the Epiphany of Our Lord has a liturgical text for our antiphon, which means the beginning phrase and the end phrase, that antiphon, is a liturgical text, not direct quote from Scripture. And the bulk of the introit is a portion of Psalm 72. Vicar, take it away. Behold, the Lord, the ruler, has come, and the kingdom and the power and the glory are in his hand. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Saba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Okay, well, we can probably figure out very quickly why this particular psalm and this introit is chosen for our celebration of Epiphany. But before we get into all this uh, king and bowing down and worshiping and all that stuff, I want to take a look at this liturgical text and pick this apart. Behold the Lord, the ruler has come. So we are using this Lord and ruler as synonymous terms. Who are we talking about, Pastor? Who is this Lord slash ruler that has come? It is Jesus Christ, the uh, the God who is incarnate in the person of Jesus. Uh, that's who it's talking about. Okay, so that shouldn't surprise any of us. We are uh, looking at the epiphany of our Lord This is uh, the Christmas celebration for many, many people in the uh, eastern part of Christianity. Uh, It is the culmination of the 12 days of Christmas. You know that uh, familiar Christmas carol. Uh, The days between December 25 and January 6 are 12 days. And so the uh, western part of Christianity celebrates Christmas on December 25th. The eastern part of Christianity celebrates it on December 6th. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time talking about the uh, 
dates of Christmas and all that stuff. But we are together worldwide welcoming the ruler slash Lord who has come to us in the person of Jesus, a tiny little baby born of the Virgin Mary, and uh, Joseph is the stepfather. When, uh, when we look at the typical nativity set that is in uh, someone's house, and uh, I've been in many houses where people collect nativity sets. I live in one. Uh, my <laughs> wife has over 100 nativity sets. Some are very tiny. Some are very elaborate and ornate and everything in between. Almost always in the nativity set, we have an historical problem. Pastor, do you want to talk about the historical problem that we have with your average run-of-the-mill nativity set? Yeah, the uh, the problem is is that um, we picture all these things that have to do with Christmas taking place at the exact same time. That um, uh, Jesus is born and laid in a manger, uh, and uh, the uh, shepherds arrive at that very instant, right after the angels are out in the fields that night. Um, and then also, here's the those things do happen fairly close to the same time, the same matter of days. Uh, the issue is, is when we get the wise men um, that are all there as well. Uh, the the reality is, is that the wise men were probably not there on the day that Jesus was born, but rather it would uh, have taken them a journey of some time uh, to actually have gotten there uh, to be. Um, where Christ was, and, and we don't know exactly how long that was. Um, we have a, an, an idea of how long it could be uh, based upon the date that Jesus was probably born and then also the date uh, at which King Herod the Great died. The uh, uh, And I don't want everybody to go throw their nativity sets in the garbage now no, because they've been, uh, they've been exposed <laughs> as historical frauds. We do this oftentimes with artwork. We mm-hmm. conflate things together and we do this for a dramatic purpose um there was no little drummer boy there when jesus was born uh 99.9 percent certain that the wise men were not there the night jesus was born uh these things can can be wonderful in your nativity set but when you want to know the real history of what happened with regarding the birth of Jesus Christ, we go to the Word of God. We go to the Bible. And Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1 give us two accounts. They are an account of the same birth of Jesus, but from two different perspectives. And when we put those two accounts together, we come up with some of the historical backing that you would uh, you would see in some of the um, nativity sets. Uh, I'm not going to go into the nativity sets that have uh, Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman and uh, uh, all those kind of things there as well. So my, my favorite one is when it was uh, leaders of the Russian Communist Party that were uh, all the heads of the pe- figures. So uh, that reminds me of some of the <laughs> some of the artwork around the time of the Reformation where they would have biblical scenes and then uh, very, very wealthy individuals would pay the artist to paint their picture into the scene, like the feeding of the 5,000 or the raising of Jairus' daughter, that kind of a thing. All right, so uh, the second part of that antiphon is just the reminder of the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness, to the royal son. Pastor, we've got this king and royal son play back and forth here in Psalm 72. Who is the king? Who is the royal son? Are they the same person? Is this, uh, is this a reference to the father and the son? How are we to understand this particular psalm? Yeah, I think um, the way that we should understand it is that Jesus is the king and the royal son. Um, now he, he's not been enthroned, or uh, what's the uh, the word coronated yet? That takes place when Christ goes to the cross. Uh, but definitely, he is the royal son who is 
uh, waiting to take his throne and to be the judge, the person who dispenses justice. Um, and he does that by his death on the cross. He takes all the punishment for guilt and shame upon himself uh, so that we might all be set free uh, to live in God's kingdom under his royal rule uh, forever and ever. Now, the thing that gets tricky is, is when we talk about God as king, Jesus as king, uh, oftentimes all three persons of the Trinity are pictured sitting together on the uh, the same throne. We see that in the book of Revelation where uh, Christ is in the midst of the throne where the Father is sitting and surrounding them are the, uh, the things that represent the Holy Spirit as well, often in the, the number seven. So it, it gets difficult to separate things. We're talking about the Trinity, but uh, Jesus is the king uh, and he's the royal son preparing to take up his throne uh, where on the cross he wears the crown, uh, he's robed in the purple, and the cross itself is his throne from which he rules heaven and earth. This uh, this shouldn't surprise us. The Holy Trinity is a mystery. Right. And <clears throat> Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so it does help when we look to a particular psalm like Psalm 72 here to sort things out. And I think it's clear in verses 1 and 2 that the king and the royal son are one and the same person. And this is who we are rejoicing and uh, celebrating the gift of the royal son, Jesus, who is the king, wearing a crown of thorns on Calvary's cross. Pastor, tell us a little bit about these three kings that bring gifts. The uh, king of Tarshish, the king of Sheba, and the king of Seba. Uh, Is there any geographical significance to these particular locations or towns? Yeah, um, well, Tarshish is uh, a place that is mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, At least uh, there's two places that are probable to be that. One of them is located on the northern coast of Africa, uh, close to uh, where Benghazi um, would be in our map today. Uh, That's where uh, it's likely that Saul of Tarsus or Paul of Tarsus had come from. Uh, There's also another option that could be uh, on the southern coast of Spain uh, that could be Tarshish as well. And we know that uh, in the Old Testament that uh, when uh, Jonah was running away from God, he was on a boat to Tarshish. Uh, Sheba is a, uh, uh, a kingdom that's located probably to the southern side of Egypt. Uh, We have in the Old Testament, uh, the queen of Sheba goes to visit uh, Solomon uh, and listen to his wisdom. And uh, that kingdom is probably located then south of Egypt uh, at that time. Uh, Seba is one that maybe uh, is a little bit more difficult. We don't have as good idea where that is, um, but uh, it, it does have that uh, similar sound to Sheba. Uh, perhaps it's another kingdom that's nearby uh, or a, a separate part of that. But there, there's the three places that are mentioned here in our intro. It And so what we have is a picture of kings from very separate and distinct people, in a sense, from all over the world coming to a central spot to worship. As was foretold to Abraham in the Old Testament, that all the nations of the world will be blessed through your offspring. And that's the very thing that's being fulfilled right here at Epiphany. And one of the, one of the marvelous things as we uh, get into our gospel reading in the next segment is we, we don't know exactly where these magi or these wise men come from. And that's a further testimony of the fact that Jesus is a savior, not for just a chosen locale or a geographically uh, limited people, but he is Lord and savior for all people for all time. Uh, We need to take a break. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. When we come back, we're going to look at the gospel reading for the epiphany of our Lord, Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, we're looking at the readings today for the Epiphany of Our Lord, maybe one of the uh, uh, least celebrated of the major festivals in the church. And uh, maybe we can uh, turn that around slowly, but surely we, uh, we do our best to celebrate the Epiphany of Our Lord Either the Sunday that it is the closest to, it's always January 6th, it's a fixed date, uh, or a Wednesday evening, because we have Wednesday services year-round. And uh, I see that there are more and more congregations that are taking time to celebrate the Epiphany of our Lord, and I pray that that continues. The Gospel reading for Epiphany is the visit of the Magi, Matthew 2 1 to 12. Vicar, take it away. Now after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea in the day in the days of Herod the king, behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Aaron summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I just love that text. Mm-hmm. It is uh, it is so rich with so many things, both uh, historical and theological, that, uh, oh boy, I don't even know exactly where I want to begin here. Let's just, uh, let's start with that phrase, wise men. Uh, some translations will say wise men, some translations will say magi. Um, these are not kings. Uh, the text is clear. Correct. Um, so what is the difference between a wise man and a regular man? What's the difference between a wise man, uh, a magi, and uh, a king? Uh, who, who are these guys? Yeah, the word magi uh, is actually just transliteration of what is in the Greek, uh, which is magoi. Uh, and that word is an imported word. It's not a, a word that has its source um, in the normal Greek-speaking area, but rather it is something that comes from the east, usually, uh, the area that at this time is part of the Parthian Empire, uh, formerly the Babylonian Empire, a, a word that means a, uh, boy, I think maybe we'd say somebody who looks up at the stars and seeks to tell the future or uh, decide what things are happening based upon how the stars uh, are lined up. Uh, maybe uh, one of those things that are in the newspaper that if you're a Capricorn or a Gemini. Hor- horoscopes. Yeah, that, that sort of field is where... Uh, a magi probably fell into in uh, the ancient world. Astronomers, yes. astrologers, <clears throat> stargazers of some kind. And, and yeah, the, and the word then implies that they're from that area east of uh, Israel and that that's their job. 
uh, possibly for whoever was ruling that area at that time. Um, and uh, the word is used again later than in Acts 13, uh, talking about somebody who does that same sort of thing. That's what the word carries. It's not a ruler. It's not an authority. It's not a government position. Uh, it is stargazer. There, there are a lot of people that want to make a lot of hay out of the fact that magi and magician uh, are very similar words. Is there, uh, is there anything that we can or should do with, uh, with that connection? I don't think so. Uh, I believe that the word, uh, our English word magician does come from a similar root, but to say that these guys are doing magic, I think, is, is a stretch. Like I said, they're looking up at the stars, trying to find out what things are happening. And uh, I don't think that they're actually doing tricks or uh, things like that. I think it's just a, a coincidence from the English language. You have to always be careful that words that sound the same in another language and English have the same meaning. That's not always the case. Okay, so we have these, uh, these three astronomers, well, and we don't have three. We, th- there is no number given here. Is that correct? It Pastor? gives no number. The tradition that there are three comes from the fact that they bring three gifts, the idea that one uh, each carried uh, a different gift, but that's not necessarily what the text says. We just know that there is more than one uh, because the word magi is in the plural form in the Greek. Okay, so it could be two, could be 20. Correct. Uh, so these uh, these magi, these uh, stargazers, um, doing their job, have ascertained from the stars that a king was to be born. Um, How in the world did that happen? Was this some special revelation? Was this coming from them uh, studying ancient texts or something like that? What we have here is that they come to Jerusalem and they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What were they reading or studying that could make sense out of that particular verse in Matthew chapter 2, Pastor? Yeah, you know, uh, as far as what's actually in the sky, uh, we don't know for sure. Uh, there's there's lots of theories that are out there. Uh, things like, uh, you know, was there a retrograde motion of the planet Jupiter and whatnot? We can't tell that. We can't look back at the sky and figure out what that was. You just was. made my head hurt. Don't talk like that ever again. <laughs> Retrograde motion, all that means is because the Earth is moving around the sun uh, at a smaller orbit, sometimes it looks like the other planets are going backwards in the sky. Um, but like I said, we, we can't... We can't uh, Stop it. <laughs> we can't say that about any of those things. Well, what we can say is that they saw the star, um, whatever that might mean, and that uh, because they saw that star and they had uh, read the scriptures, uh, for example, Zechariah, I think, is it chapter 9, uh, talks about uh, the star of the, the king being born. So they see that, they put it together, and they head to Jerusalem. Uh, they probably had copies of the Jewish Old Testament scriptures in that area from the time of uh, the exile uh, in 586 B.C. to oh, probably 520 B.C. Uh, so they probably still had Jewish people even in that area. And that's how they got those scriptures. They see the star. They say it matches the scriptures. And they head to Jerusalem, which is where Jewish kings uh, are born uh, and live and die. Okay, so they see his star and... Uh They follow the star to a point, but then they realize, we don't need to follow the star. We'll just go to Jerusalem. Yeah. Because if there's a new king, the new king will be in Jerusalem because this is where the king lives. And when Herod uh, hears about all this, um, uh, hey, Herod, there's some guys at the front door. They want to know where the new baby king is. And Herod was not happy. Herod was troubled. Vicar, why do you think Herod, the king, was troubled that there were people who wanted to come see the new king? 
because Herod wanted that kingship and didn't want to give it away to anybody else. Herod was a very jealous man, uh, not a very good man, if I believe right. Uh, if it's this Herod, he even killed his own sons in order to make sure that they wouldn't rise up and take his throne away while uh, he was still ruling. So when it says that Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, uh, even the people that were there knew, uh-oh, uh, the king's feeling a little threatened here. What is he going to do now? Paranoid is the word. <laughs> yeah, he's he's so paranoid uh, that, uh, like you said, he kills his own family members. He kills his own wife. Um, and uh, even um, people hate him so much that he decides that uh, when he dies, he has an order put together that um, hundreds of people shall be killed just so that someone is mourning on the day that he dies because he doesn't think anybody will otherwise. So he is not a good guy. He is not a friendly guy. And uh, to keep his throne, he'll go to any length. And so this is a big deal when these magi show up. Okay, so Herod is upset because he doesn't want to share the throne with anyone. Uh, He's probably pretty sure there isn't a new king out there, but he's not 100% sure. And so he's got to search it out, and uh, if there is someone who thinks they're a king, he has to eliminate the threat. Now, here's where the story takes an amazing twist. This homicidal maniac, this paranoid, uh, terrible creature, uh, just just a an excuse and a waste of skin. This is how uh, bad and mean and evil this guy is. In wanting to know if it could possibly be true that there is a new king of the Jews, he directs his um, uh, team of people that are around him, his chief priests and scribes. He inquires of them where the Christ is to be born. If there is a new king, this must be this whole Messiah thing. If there is a new king, there's only one place to look for the clues as to where this Messiah, this new king, would be born. Vicar, where do the scribes and the chief priests look to see anything about the Christ? They go right into the Holy Scriptures and reveal from there, oh, this uh, Christ, this anointed one that is to be born, is going to be from Bethlehem. This pagan king who couldn't give a rip about the new Messiah to come, actually directs people to search the Scriptures. Pastor, this to me is just one of the most dramatic, ironic things in the whole Christmas narrative. And I do think it tells us what Herod's faith is. Um, Herod himself doesn't know the Scriptures. He doesn't understand this. He hasn't heard the promise that's been uh, long foretold and uh, reminded to the Jewish people for years and years and years. He has to send someone else to go look. And uh, that, I- that is interesting. We have recorded uh, in the archaeological record, yes, King Herod built the uh, enlarged temple uh, in Jerusalem. He spent uh, a lot of money doing that, but he also built uh, pagan altars. He also uh, built uh, altars to Caesar and uh, uh, things like that. His faith is not in a promised Savior. He's not a good Jew. He's not even Jewish in ancestry. He is a Nabataean, uh, and so it does tell us a lot about who he is just in the way he acts. God loved Herod so much that he would direct him to the sacred scriptures to find out about the Christ. Now he's going to hear it. Is he going to believe it? Or is it going to harden his heart even more? The rest of the story with Herod and Matthew chapter 2 when we come back. Don't change that dial.
Bringing Bach Back, Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy. Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'd love to have you come and worship with us at Good Shepherd. We're located at 3525 Wildbriar, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln, just north of 40th and Old Cheney. Gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in Between. Wednesday evenings year-round at 630. The Epiphany of Our Lord will be celebrated this coming Sunday. And uh, Wednesday of uh, this upcoming week, we'll be celebrating the Baptism of Our Lord, another uh, major festival. We won't be able to look at uh, that particular text this year, but if you check out our archives, you'll be able to find a, a program on the Baptism of Our Lord from last year or the year before. I'm not exactly sure which, but check it out and you can find it. That's at www.thecross957.org. We're looking at the gospel reading for the Epiphany of Our Lord, Matthew 2, 1 to 12. All right, so we got Herod. He's all hot and bothered. Herod is worked up. God loves him enough so that he would get his scribes and uh, priests to speak the word of God into his ear. Unfortunately, Herod does not believe the word of God. Um, I want to back up just a little bit here because in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2, the Magi say, For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Pastor, I want to ask you a question here with regard to their intent to worship this uh, king of the Jews. Are they believers? Are they seekers? Um, have they already been converted? What, uh, what do you think about that at this point in time? I think that um, that word, uh, which in the, the Greek is proskunesai, uh, does display that they have faith um, in some way, shape, or form. Now, whether that's a promise, um, the promise that we carry throughout all the Old Testament that God is sending a Savior, or whether they completely understand Jesus, which I doubt, uh, since few do until the time that he is crucified and rises again, uh, they do have faith that he is something special, because that word uh, carries with it the idea of worship. And the only things that receive worship are divine things. Uh, and so whether they completely understand, I doubt it, but they do have this idea that something important is here in the person and work of Jesus, and that's why they do worship. Uh, that's what their goal is anyways, to worship him. Okay, and I uh, um, I wanted to make that point because there are sometimes people say, oh, you know, these guys were magicians. Uh, they believed in black magic. They really, really, really had no intention. They're, they're just curious. They had no intention of actually worshiping, uh, not in the sense of what we would call Christian worship. And I would beg to differ because this word here, and then when we see this repeated again at the end of our text, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, these guys believe that Jesus is the king of the Jews, the one who is prophesied, the seed of the woman, um, the, the one through whom all people on earth would be blessed as given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they believe it, they worship him, and they go home and continue to believe it and spread the good news but we're getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit. Okay, the, uh, the section of Scripture that uh, the uh, scribes and the priests bring back to Herod, uh, a portion of Micah, Micah chapter 5, where uh, we get our Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And then in verse 7 and following, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So um, Herod's heard the word of God. He says he wants to know where the Christ is so he can go and worship him. 
Um, how is this attitude of Herod? Thankfully, we have the rest of the story here to fill in the blanks. But how is this uh, attitude and action of Herod completely different from that of the wise men? Yeah, Herod is lying. He is seeking to find out where Jesus is, not to worship him, but instead to uh, go and eliminate him as competition uh, from from Herod. And uh, we know this from later on when uh Herod sends his soldiers into Bethlehem to kill all those who are two years old or younger. And also then I think it's important for us to see that this sets things in a particular time period. We know that King Herod died uh, in 4 B.C. And we know the age of kids that he had eliminated uh, prior to that. That kind of gives us an idea of when Jesus was born. 4 or 5 B.C. puts things into perspective in that regard as well. So lots of stuff that is contained in this that helps us understand the scriptures. Okay. So Herod has no intention to worship None Jesus. None at all. He, um, we know from the rest of the story, the rest of the chapter, that uh, he wants to know if there is a Christ, uh, he wants to kill him. And uh, little does he know that he's about 33 years too early with regard to killing the, uh, killing the Christ. And uh, it will not be the plotting and scheming of an evil king that will kill the Christ. It will be the free and willing sacrifice of the Christ, this king, this Lord, this one to whom the stars have foretold. He will freely and willingly lay down his life for the life of the world. So uh, Herod wants to get things ahead of head of schedule, and God is not going to let him. So the wise men go, and as soon as they leave, they see the star again. Pastor, what's happening here? Yeah, God is, uh, through some miraculous means, uh, leading them uh, from Jerusalem south. It's only about uh, you know five or six miles, I suppose, maybe a little further, uh, to the city of Bethlehem. Uh, and that star is then kind of their their guidepost, the thing that points them in the right direction. How that is, we don't know. We just know that's what the text says. And uh, uh, therefore, it is a great miracle of God where God leads people to Jesus uh, to worship and to uh, um, receive gifts from him, I guess you would say. So this whole star thing, it's it's indeed a mystery. Yeah. You know, we we don't I mean we can try to come up with all kinds of goofy I don't even say the words again, Pastor. I don't want that it hurt my head so much I almost had to put new headphones on. Um <laughs> but um yeah, th- th- there are many attempts to try to explain this scientifically, astrologically, all that kind of stuff. God did something special. And it's a mystery and we're going to leave it at that. The wise men certainly had to be dejected. They're leaving Jerusalem. They thought they were in the right spot. They weren't in the right spot. And now they're being sent to a different spot. And is Herod lying to them or what's going on? Did they misread the stars? And boom, the stars there again. And they've also heard the word, just like Herod has, that uh, you, O Bethlehem, uh, you know, so it's not just the star alone, but also the scriptures which help comprehend what is going on with the star that help lead them the right direction it's not like they flipped a coin and said should we go north south east or west they were already headed toward bethlehem yes and the star guides them to the exact spot uh they do not go to the manger and the stable and the inn this is what we have in luke chapter two this is where jesus was born obviously that was a temporary kind of a thing um, Pastor, well, uh, you, ha- you have this look on your face like maybe yes, maybe no. You know, we don't know. The, the scriptures never, ever mention an inn like we think of inn, uh, like a, a Motel 8 or whatever. The word that is used there is kataluma, which is also the word for the upper room where the Last Supper is held. And all houses had a kataluma, which is kind of a guest room. And, and so, um, and stable, we, Scripture never says stable either. All it says is manger, and everybody had a manger in their home where they brought their goats and sheep in overnight as well. And so here we have the word house. It could be the house that they were staying at for the census uh, with Joseph's relatives who are from the city of Bethlehem. There's lots of things there that we 
put in our minds from the nativity scene that maybe aren't actually really scriptural after all. Okay, thank you. That is that is very helpful. Um, they're they're in a house now specifically. As much time as two years has passed from when Jesus was born, when they saw the sign, we don't know that for sure. It could have been a short time, could have been a long period of time, but we know that two-year time frame from uh, what comes later in Matthew chapter 2 with regard to the slaughter of the innocents that are there. Uh, Vicar, when they saw the star, verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Um, seems to me like they were really happy. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, unpack that verse. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The one that they were looking for, they knew they were drawing very, very near. Uh, they were soon to behold this Christ. Uh, it's interesting earlier that uh, Herod doesn't just say, where is this new king to be born? Uh, he actually asked, where is the Christos? Where is this anointed one? Almost as though he knew Maybe this is a little bit different than just an earthly type of king. And so now they're finally going to see this little boy, and uh, they're overjoyed. We're finally going to get to bow down and worship the one who we've been seeking out. They are so happy, you can't squeeze any more joy words into that verse. There's four of them in a row in the Greek. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. read it in the Greek, yeah. Pastor, so we can have the fun with it. Ekaresan karan megalain svadra. Uh, they were rejoicing with joy that was great and exceeding. Oh, man. That is just, they were really happy. Yes. They were really happy. Okay, so they go to the house. They uh, see the child with Mary the mother. It's interesting that Joseph is not mentioned here. Um, how significant that is, I don't know. But uh, he isn't mentioned here. They fell down and they worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Um, the three gifts and the the type of gifts that they are. And uh, we've got about two minutes left in our time segment, Pastor. Yeah. Uh, gold, obviously, uh, we all know what gold is. It's a, um, a metal that is rare and expensive. and uh, Fit for a king. Fit for a king, exactly. It kind of tells us who Jesus is. Um, frankincense uh, is a uh, aromatic resin that comes from a tree. It's basically tree sap, and you burn it, uh, and it makes a fragrant-smelling smoke. Uh, it is something that is oftentimes used in church services or in temple services at that time in the synagogue, uh, fit for a, a divine thing or for worship, uh, telling us who Jesus is again. So he's king with the gold, uh, with the frankincense. Uh, he is kind of this holy thing, this godly being as well. And then myrrh is a another aromatic uh, sort of thing that is oftentimes used to uh, anoint dead bodies to help cover up the stink that a rotting corpse might have. That also foretells who Jesus is. He's the one who's going to die to forgive us all of our sin. And my understanding is all three of these gifts are uh, expensive, yes. precious, uh, worth a lot of money. Yes, Okay, because we see here uh, they're uh, warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They depart to their own country by another way. So they go one way. We're going to see uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the flight to Egypt. Some have uh, posited that this uh, flight to Egypt was financed by some of the uh, uh, gifts, these uh, fancy gifts that were given by the Magi. Your thoughts on that? You know, it's possible. Uh, we have to remember um, that this is the height of the Roman power and empire. Judea is not a province in Rome yet, but it is definitely a client kingdom. And uh, Herod's power is not really derived in himself, but rather from the permission of Octavian Caesar and uh, or Augustus, as he's come to know. Uh, and so all these places are related. It is fairly easy to travel between the different places at that time. It's not like I've seen several times here, Jesus is a refugee. That's not the case. Um, is it financed by those things? Could very well be. Okay. Uh, this is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the Epiphany of Our Lord. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 60. Don't change that dial.
You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. As Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the Epiphany of Our Lord, one of the major, major celebrations in the church. And uh, in our first segment, we looked at our intro, a portion of Psalm 72. In segments two and three, we uh, looked in great detail at our gospel reading, Matthew 2, 1 to 12, the visit of the wise men, the magi, to the Lord Jesus. And the gifts that they brought him, the message that the Christ is not for just a few, but for all people. We'll continue that theme. That's not just a New Testament theme, but it is a theme throughout all of Scripture. One of the uh, most important and most significant passages in the Old Testament is our Old Testament reading for today. In uh, in the olden days in the church, many times there was not an Old Testament reading read on the major festivals, just a gospel and an epistle, with the exception of Epiphany. Epiphany was different. Epiphany always had this reading from Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 6. Luther preached on this text numerous times. It was one of his of, of all of his favorite texts in Isaiah, this text from Isaiah 60 was one of his all-time favorites. So I've built that up as much as I possibly can. Vicar, take it away. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All right. Well, it's pretty easy to see why this text is uh, the Old Testament reading for Epiphany. We have the wise men who bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. We have Isaiah 60, verse 6, where it talks about people bringing gold and frankincense. Uh, it's It's a very easy connection that way. But the theological significance and import of this text is much, much greater than the commonality between the gifts here mentioned and the gifts that the Magi bring. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And then this light is further described as the glory of the Lord. Pastor, the glory of the Lord as light Light as the glory of the Lord. What's happening here? Well, it has a, you know, I can't can't help but think we have to know John's gospel to help understand this as well, where the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. The very definition of the word epiphany is that uh, something shines forth that uh, we can see what's going on. And that's the whole theme of the season of epiphany is that we are getting a glimpse of who Jesus is the reality of God in the flesh is shining forth. He is the light of the world that shines forth. Uh, he is the one who has the glory of the Lord uh, within himself, and his reality is revealed in the season of Epiphany. And so it helps us to understand who Jesus is, God hidden in human flesh, uh, come to suffer and die to forgive us our sins. 
I don't know. I don't have my Hebrew text with me here, but uh, I just I want to say that this glory word here is kavod. It definitely is kavod. Uh, okay, and uh, we've talked about this a couple of times on proclaiming the one in the past. And just to refresh your memory, or Pastor, I'll I'll let you talk about this because I don't think you and I have talked about this. Generally, when we talk about the glory of the Lord, the kavod of the Lord, we're talking about the glory of the Lord that is in God's house in the temple mm-hmm. and uh, take it's, it from there. It's the thing that um, filled the tabernacle. It's the thing that uh, was contained beneath or not beneath between the wings of the cherubim upon the Ark of the Covenant. It's the thing that um, uh, when you went into the Holy of Holies uh, could kill you if you acted wrongly in its presence. That's why they tied a rope around the high priest's waist to drag his body out if he made a mistake on Yom Kippur. It's the thing. We ought to try that with the vicars. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll it's, just send him out onto the thin ice when we go ice fishing. I'll, well, <laughs> I'll try that first. It got. I mean, in the uh, the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, the thing that kills everybody is the Kavod Yahweh. Now, of course, that's a movie, and it's it's not true to Scripture, but if you were to say the thing that's the Kavod, that's what it was. Um, and when uh, the uh, the glory of the Lord, the Kavod Yahweh, left the temple uh, before it was destroyed at the time of Nebuchadnezzar, it is this great thing that represents the presence of the Lord, his holiness that we sinful people cannot be in the presence of uh, without an intermediary. Uh, Isaiah, when he comes into the glory of the Lord, uh, he says, Woe is me, for I'm a man with unclean lips and it takes a burning coal from the altar the place where sacrifices occur touching his lips uh, to allow him to be in God's presence uh, teaching us about the Lord's Supper and how we get the blood of Christ on our lips uh, and that allows us to come into that glory of the Lord that's probably way more than we want to talk about but no it's it's probably just scratching the surface of what we need to talk about with regard to this glory of the Lord we we hear that word and we just think oh you know uh um, you know, God is God and we're not, and God has glory, and we leave it at that. Uh, we we look at it superficially. Uh, I think your words at the very beginning, the uh, the Gospel of John is the uh, the New Testament place where the glory of the Lord is really, really unpacked for us. And if we realize that the glory of the Lord that is spoken of in the Gospel of John is this kavod, this real presence of God among the people, this cloud that envelops the people when they uh, when the when the glory of the Lord fills the temple, this kavod is what goes to the cross and bleeds and dies. God is glorified when Jesus bleeds and dies for the life of the world. Uh, all of this together uh, is is. Uh, wrapped up in that kavod word, and here we have it in Isaiah 60, where this kavod, this light, has risen. This kavod is in contrast with thick darkness that covers over the peoples. Vicar, what kind of, uh, what, is, what is this thick darkness a metaphor for? Well, the thick darkness is a sin that the people are living in. They do not have eyes to see or ears to hear. They're uh, doing whatever they want to do. And yet, God has caused this thick darkness to fall over them. And then he arises above it. And if you're ever in a dark room and there's a light in the corner of it, you're able to see it, right? And it might draw your attention towards it. Well, that's what God is doing here. The people are dwelling in deep darkness And yet here the glory of God, the light of God has come, and it's drawing all these people to it. Why do you think churches have crosses on top of their steeples and a light shining on the cross? Uh, All of this is a picture of what we have laid out for us here in Isaiah 60, where people are drawn to the light, and that particular light that shines is Jesus his cross, his empty tomb. We have uh, in verse 4, Pastor, uh, kind of an Advent theme here in uh, Psalm 24. We're told to uh, lift up our head, lift up our hearts, lift up our eyes. And here in verse 4, it says, lift up your eyes all around you and see. See what? See Jesus. See 
the one who is crucified and risen. See the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I think it's important to see right before that in Isaiah, in the Old Testament times, 760 B.C., Isaiah says, All nations shall come to that light, all kings to the brightness of that rising. All the nations of the world, we said earlier, will be blessed in the seed of Abraham. Uh, Jesus gathers people from all over the world to himself in the light and in the truth of his word and in his sacraments. And uh, that is the church that we live in right now and today. This, uh, This light is our salvation. This kavod, this glory of the Lord, is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. It is delivered at the baptismal font. It is delivered as you hear the word of God. It is delivered into your mouth as you eat and drink Christ's body and blood in with and under bread and wine. And something happens. Take a look at verse 5. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Pastor, what what is this transformation that when the glory of the Lord, when this light shines on me, and I by grace through faith believe it, what is this radiance that I now have, this this thrill that's going on inside of me, this exaltation that is happening? Well, there's lots of things we could talk about. I think maybe a place to start would be with um, Moses, when Moses went up on the mountain and was talking to God, or when Moses went in and received a message from the Lord and he came out to share that message with the people, uh, his face glue, glue, glowed? Glowed. Glowed. His face glowed. His face glued. <laughs> Mr. Ed. Hello, oh, right. Wilbur. <laughs> his face reflected the glory Uh, that uh, shone out from God. The same thing with angels. Why are people always terrified of angels? Because they are before God. They reflect his glory and his presence. And uh, uh, that's the same thing that will happen with us as well. When we receive God's word, when we receive his sacraments, uh, the faith that we have shines forth, uh, and other people can see that same thing in us. And it comes out then in service to neighbor um, and uh, service for all those people who are around us as well. If Jesus is in us and if Jesus is bigger than us, he'll stick out. Yeah. And it is spoken of here in this reflection, this radiance, this exaltation that we won't be able to keep in. This is God's gift in the forgiveness of sins won for us through Jesus Christ. This uh, this section is um, drawing to a close. We're looking at the readings for the Epiphany of Our Lord. Again, we'd love to have you worship with us at Good Shepherd, 8 and 1030, 3825 Wildbriar Lane, each Sunday, Wednesday night, 6 p.m., 630 p.m., excuse me. Our services are live on 95.7. The Cross here in Lincoln, you can listen live or uh, check out the uh, tape programs on our website, www.thecross957.org. And we pray that this light of Christ, which gives life and transforms your life, would be yours today and always. Uh, one last thing before I have Vicar close off the program in prayer. We've had a, a very, very special guest with us at our program today. And uh, I just want to uh, thank uh, Pastor Moline's daughter, Claire, for being such a good, good girl, for sitting uh, politely and just uh, being so special. I know she makes dad and mom and her whole family proud. Uh, Claire, do you want to tell everybody happy Epiphany? No, no, come on. You don't want to? Okay. Well, you've been very, very good anyway, even if you don't want to say happy epiphany. Uh, Vicar, lead us in prayer, would you please? Let us pray. O God, by the leading of a star you made known your only begotten Son to the Gentiles, lead us, who know you by faith, to enjoy in heaven the fullness of your divine presence. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. On behalf of the saints here at Good Shepherd, for Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, I'm Pastor Poppy, and we wish all of you a very happy Happy Epiphany. epiphany. God's blessings in Christ.